0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12 month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary, discounts not available in all states and situations. Ah, love. Exciting and new, and terrifying, and confusing and complicated and, hey, why are we even trying to do this? Sorry, deep breath. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Live Wire Radio. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week, we are going to take on Valentine's Day. We've got music and comedy and uh, and we've got some love advice from Cheryl Strayed and Steve Allman. They've got the Dear Sugar Radio podcast. Advice like this.
3: <laughs> Cheryl says smart things into a microphone while I massage her feet. That's, That's right. the
0: whole thing. <laughs> it's going to be great. Uh, so this hour, we encourage you to put down that Tinder and pick up your radio. But now put your radio back down because that looks ridiculous, and frankly, nobody's going to date you that way. Stay with us. Live wires coming your way right now. Welcome to Live Wire Radio. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. This week, in honor of Valentine's Day, we're trying something a little different. We're going to dedicate the entire show to talking about love and relationships and this incredibly ambitious thing that we do when we try to fall in love and maybe spend our lives with somebody. And we've got a couple of people here to help us this hour who, they know a lot about this. Why? Because... They're humans, and they've been alive for a few years, and also because they're the folks behind the Dear Sugar radio podcast from WBUR in Boston. Longtime friends of the show, we've got Steve Allman here and also Cheryl Strayed. Hey, you guys. Hi, Luke. Hey, Luke.
1: Happy Love Day.
0: Oh, okay. That actually gets me right to my first question, Cheryl, which is calling it Love Day and the cards and all of the, you know, stuff that surrounds Valentine's Day. Is this all one big crock?
1: I'm kind of inclined to think so. I hate to say it. Uh, I I really am a romantic and I place a high value in my own life on romance. I, I, I do think it's important, but I don't really believe in this one day a year holiday stuff. It's not about going out and buying chocolate. It's about remembering that's, you know, finding that special place. I kind of think each
3: day. Exactly. So there's this great marketing opportunity and there's that part of it. But I guess we could say, hey, it's a day that you have some intention about it and that you're reminded, aside from the late model capitalist nonsense, that you should really pay attention to the people that you love and the person that you maybe love the most and are physically intimate with, or people.
1: But see, that's my problem with it, Steve. Yes. because Already it's an argument. (laughs) Because it really isn't about the people we love. I I mean, I know that schools have done things like make our kids give each other those little, give their friends all those little Valentine's cards.
0: And they're always the kind of Valentine's cards now that aren't, Specific, they say like you're a sport, Valentine.
1: Exactly, <laughs> which and could just,
0: just mean anything, I guess. And right.
1: so it does; it really does. It is meant to celebrate the romantic relationships in our lives. And I have to say, I always think about the people who are not in romantic relationships. Where yeah. are they? You know, oh, I can so, tell you where they are. It's lonely. Yeah. It's t- yeah. despairing, and and I don't know. Like I, I, I'm not usually such a naysayer, believe it or not. But I, I just, I'm a, I'm a Valentine's Day skeptic.
3: Uh, I'm trying to play the role as somebody who basically is on record hating valentine's day <laughs> of defending it but i give in it's kind of a crock but on the other hand you sort of want to say well look in a world that's so full of bigotry and hate and all of our anxieties and self-hatred that we project out into the world there are worst things to commemorate
1: absolutely right? you're right you're right what do you think luke
3: I, I sort of see all of the
0: where all the cynicism comes from about the day and yet if you have a day where a large part of the American population is trying their darndest, even if it only is for 24 hours, to make somebody else know that they love and care about them. I guess I don't really see what
3: the downside of that is.
1: Okay, okay. You guys, you've worn me down and won me over.
3: Right, and I I am actually frankly in favor of and have been an advocate and practitioner of the self-love Valentine's Day. Many Valentine's Day That sounds like a
0: thing we can't talk about on public radio.
1: (laughs) Okay, we'll stop. You know, we have a podcast. We can say whatever we want. Exactly.
3: exactly. You get the picture, and if you don't get the picture, we'll send you the picture. Okay, good. Email me that
0: to my personal account, all of the descriptions of Valentine's self-love. <laughs> all right, okay. Steve and Cheryl, guys, don't go anywhere, okay? We're going to hear more from you as the show continues. Coming up, we're going to take on the idea of love from every angle, musically, poetically, sketch comedy-ly-y. First up, though... Laura Gibson is a Portland singer, songwriter, and Live Wire favorite. She's working on a new album right now, like literally as we speak. Uh, But she stopped by the show not long ago and she played us a tune. Here it is.
4: Two kids, no tricks, only rich and time. Say never look back We'll throw out every dollar we have make a move trade a roof for the open sky hi living on luck we'll tethering our hopes to a pickup truck and they'll tell us honey you've gotta know you've gotta know where you're Going. But you're my son, my northern lights, my southern cross. And if we're gonna die young, we're gonna die with a love song in our mouth. So, our oh. 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 two hearts, new start, every card is wild. Never fear in our face. The radio up with the windows down. Loose hands slow dance under crooked stars. We're clumsy at love. We're to the beat of a crooked star. And now tell us, dear, you've got to fear, you've got to fear it all. You were my son, my northern lights, my southern cross If we're gonna die young, we're gonna die With a love song in our mouths Oh, oh, oh And maybe, my darling, there's more than following an endless road Maybe someday we're gonna trade our freedom for a better home For a house and a yard and a son and a daughter and a steady job But today Or today Two kids who knows where the road will take us But with you in my heart Living every moment we've got high.
0: That was Laura Gibson on this special Valentine's edition of Live Wire Radio. LiveWire is brought to you in part by New Belgium Brewing this week featuring Portage Porter. A warm, toasty porter with chocolate aromas and deep brown hue that tells the world, yes, I can handle a dark beer because I am a person of substance. And yes, that is also hot wing sauce on my face. I'm made of multitudes. More information available at NewBelgiumBrewing.com.
2: Hurry up, travelers. The troll needs your answer. What goes on four legs in the morning, two legs at midday, and three legs at twilight? I don't know. I can't think of any such creature. Maybe it's not a creature at all. All I think I know it.
5: It's a man. A man walks on four legs in the morning, two legs during the day, and three legs in the evening. The day is a metaphor
3: for his life.
2: Very good. Second riddle. A man and his wife have been married for 24 years. They've been terrifically happy for most of it, but recently they've been intimate less and less. Your riddle, is she cheating on him?
5: Well, there's no way to say from just that. I mean, just because intimacy changes doesn't mean that somebody is cheating.
2: So you think the troll's wife still loves him? Uh, Troll? Did I say troll? I meant man, the man's wife. She still wants to be with him. Is that your final answer? Oh,
5: I, I really don't know. I mean, is she doing something suspicious?
2: She's been buying a lot of dresses recently. <laughs> 24 year and she never wears nothing but burlap. And then all of a sudden, she starts this new yoga class, and she's spending all our gold at Gork the Seamstress. Uh,
6: yoga class? Huh, that definitely sounds like cheating to
2: me. No! Uh, ah, I knew it! I mean... Curse be a her!
0: I'm not positive!
7: No, 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 it could be a lot of things.
0: Yeah, maybe the yoga and the dresses are just to make her feel younger. That's,
5: prob- that's probably what yes, it is. Yes. That's what it you is. Think? Def- you think? Yeah. Definitely.
2: Good. <clears throat> Good. But then why doesn't she want to be intimate? Do you think it's because the man has been gaining weight recently?
6: Is this a new riddle or the same one? Uh,
2: sure, yeah, new riddle. Uh, storms and trees, fiddle dees It's time to answer riddle tree. Uh, does the troll look fat to you?
5: You don't look fat at all.
2: Not me, it's the riddle. But thank you. Well,
5: uh, hypothetically, that torn leather tunic is very
2: slimming. Thanks! It's just so hard to eat healthy, you know? It, I mean, hypothetically, the troll's got a weakness for billy goats, and he hypothetically knows where a whole herd of billy goats live, and so even though he knows he should eat more toad salads, he does nothing but eat... Belly goats for days at a time, but then hypothetically, he feels very guilty about it. But hypothetically, Toad Salad just doesn't taste as good as billy goats. <laughs> hypothetically.
1: Then M- oh. M- maybe he should start by just taking a
5: walk once a day. Hypothetically.
2: Yeah, or, or he could even try going to yoga with his wife. Oh, but the riddle man couldn't possibly go to yoga. He's never been happy with his arms. His mom was always so critical of his appearance. I, I'm not a supermodel mother, I'm a troll, okay? I'm going to have weird arms.
1: Yeah. I think the man it just needs to tell his wife how he's feeling. Maybe they can go on a vacation together and recapture some of the magic.
2: Hmm, mm-hmm. that sounds very reasonable. You have answered all the riddles to my satisfaction. You may cross.
5: Oh, thank goodness, let's get moving. Come on, Doc.
2: Holt.
5: What what is it? We answered your riddles.
2: Did you say doc?
5: Yes, she's a physician.
2: Ah, well, of course, doctors have to answer four riddles. Your last riddle. Look at my back. Does that wart look benign?
0: That was Paul Glazer, Trisha Ferguson, and Andrew Harris. This is Live Wire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. Love is in the air. And uh, this is our Valentine's Day special. We're bringing you some of our favorite sketches and essays and thoughts on this, um, I guess, supposedly romantic day. And here to talk about relationships, we've got Steve Allman and Cheryl Strayed from the Dear Sugar Radio podcast, which is put out by WBUR in Boston. Hey, you guys.
1: Hi. Hey,
0: Luke. Uh, how did you two first team up?
1: You know, we We met. Uh, and, you know, we're just acquaintances, writer acquaintances. He lived in Boston, and I lived in Portland, Oregon, yes. and he, unbeknownst to me, started this anonymous advice column on The Rumpus called Dear Sugar. That's right. And I read the column.
3: Yes, you read the column and, and were the single person who enjoyed the column, wrote me a lovely fan letter. And after about a year of writing this column, not particularly well, I asked Cheryl, to take the column over, because the conceit of the column was an advice column written by a kind of wise woman who'd had a lot of experience in life and was very empathic in dispensing advice, which, as a kind of a jerk guy who hasn't had much interesting experiences, I didn't do very well writing it, but I knew that... Not true. The column was great. It was was funny. It had its moments. But I knew that Cheryl had a sense, as a big fan of her work, fiction and nonfiction, that she would just kill it. And uh, I asked her, and miraculously enough, she said yes. And wrote these columns of astonishing beauty and um, real just deep, difficult, beautiful truth that really built uh, a huge audience. And I think a couple of years later, to fast forward, realized when I was working on developing a podcast with WBUR, I want an excuse to go hang out with Cheryl Strayed. Let me ask again if she will consent to take Dear Sugar onto the radio world. And she said miraculously, beautifully, she said yes.
1: Yeah, so both times Steve just asked and I... And I it's said, it's yes. that easy. I Just to,
3: ask Cheryl straight; she'll say yes. He's
1: impossible to resist in that regard. So,
0: is the is the division of labor now on the podcast like uh, Cheryl? You you think long and hard and try to really help people through difficult moments, and Steve. Correct. You just take
3: pot shots. That's right. <laughs> I, I, the division of labor is Cheryl says smart things into a microphone while I massage her feet. That's, That's right. the whole thing. <laughs> that sounds you know, like a pretty strong
0: HR violation. It's it's
1: really, <laughs> it's an interesting question. He's perceived as like this funny writer and I'm, I think I'm perceived as this serious, sincere writer. And right. what I have really always admired in Steve's work and, and also knowing him as a person. You know, I think that he's also incredibly sincere. And I think that I'm funnier than I get credit you for. You
3: are a lot funnier than you get credit for, yeah.
1: Um, you know, one of the things that I have really found to be true, too, is, you know, we, you don't know when you're going to meet somebody that you're going to have this kind of chemistry with. Steve, right. we like to talk. But, I, you know, as I've gotten to know Steve, I've understood that in his work— You know, he he's called to be a writer, I'm called to be a writer, but we've both always wanted to help people. You know, we've both written stories and essays that 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 have to do with, you know, how do we grow? How do we love? How do we change? How do we heal? And I think that this spills over into this desire, I guess, to give advice. We certainly don't think we're wiser than anyone else. We don't think we know more than others. It's simply delving into the questions of what it means to be human.
3: Yeah, that's right. And in fact, I think as an advice column, I mean, advice columnist is kind of dressing it up, but the, the best thing that we are able to do, and especially Cheryl with the Dear Sugar column, was to dwell in a place of doubt and uncertainty, which is really what binds all of us. Like advice columnists are supposed to dispense bromides and say here's what you should do and here's the etiquette and so forth but actually what people are looking for when they write to Cheryl in particular or they write letters to us is for somebody to tell them that they have a right to feel what they're feeling at that moment and that life is difficult and you face choices that are really tough and sometimes that's your reality it's it's amazing the number of people who are essentially asking permission to feel what they're feeling
0: this is Live Wire Radio. It's our Valentine's Day edition. We're talking to Cheryl Strait and Steve Allman from the Dear Sugar Radio podcast. Um, what is, because this is the Valentine's show, what is the most common challenge you think that people face in relationships, at least based on what you guys hear from folks?
1: Well, one of the big questions is, will I ever find love? You know, why haven't I found love yet? I've had this relationship that ended and this person who broke up with me. And, and will I always be alone? Another one is, I found love. I love this person, but... I've fallen out of love, that we no longer have sexual compatibility, or right. we no longer have that passion that we used to have. How do we, you know, should I leave him or her, or should I stay? That's another big one.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think sort of lurking underneath all of that is this question, do I have a right to a greater happiness, romantically, sexually? People really struggle with the idea that they're, if they actually insist on a greater happiness or the opportunity for a greater happiness, they're going to lose the security that they have, which is very often. Often a relationship where there isn't that kind of passion that that was happening earlier in the relationship
0: well what do you guys tell them
1: we don't know
3: yeah we have no clue what are you talking about <laughs> well so i guess this is the last dear sugar podcast this <laughs> week right. thanks for listening <laughs> we're in doubt we have no idea write us when you work it out
0: well
1: you know the ones the, the, the how will i ever find love um those are pretty easy to answer because we pretty much know that the answer is yes that it may not feel like that you're going to when you're that when you're alone and you know you, you've had various failures in relationships, it always feels like you're doomed. Um, but very seldom does that turn out to be the the case. Most people over the course of their lives will find love again and again. And there might be periods that it's difficult, but they usually find it. And the
3: truth is, Luke, you know, when we look at these letters, there are really two letters being written. The conscious letter, the thing the person thinks they're saying, and then this sort of second letter that's underneath it, where they're telling us the answer. They're just asking for permission to feel what they're feeling. You know, we know when somebody writes to us and they need to get out of a relationship, they just need to hear somebody else hear an accounting of it and say, actually, you say that you really don't feel happiness in this relationship and dream all the time. We just answered a a very moving letter from a woman who was asking, am I gay? But the, the... The basics of the letter were, I am in love with this guy, and we're married, but I fantasize constantly. I don't enjoy sex with him, and I fantasize constantly about women, my women friends, and watch lesbian porn. And it wasn't exactly super subtle. It was clear that she needed to allow herself to at least explore that possibility, whether we call her gay or not. It was really not important to us. And that in the meantime, that was going to mean that she was going to disrupt in a major way the relationship that she was in with a man she did love. Right didn't enjoy sex with him. Well, it sounds, it
0: sounds like you guys are doing good work with the Dear Sugar Radio podcast. I'll mention Strayed. You're not doing great work with that book, Wild. <laughs> this week, my wife said to me, she was like, I went and I saw the movie and her ex-husband was mailing her these packages and I realized you would never do that for me. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks a lot.
1: That's right. Well, you can tell I have a comeback for you.
0: Okay. In,
1: in real life, my ex-husband did not send me my care packages it was so, it was a friend yeah. in the movie ah. they made it my ex-husband because just they had to streamline some things for the movie so okay
0: i've got i've got to build a time machine and go back <laughs> to earlier this week and nail her with that we need to keep going with a special valentine's edition of Livewire. but we're going to be hearing from cheryl and steve later on in the show and we've got a bunch of other interesting stuff coming up stay with us more live wire coming your way in just a moment <laughs> Livewire is brought to you in part by whole foods market featuring cage free eggs because eggs need room to roll and also wobble periodically. Whole Foods Market, values matter. More information can be found at wholefoodsmarket.com. Poet Derek Brown is a former paratrooper for the 82nd Airborne. He's also been a gondolier, a magician. He was fired from a gig as a weatherman. But that is our gain as poetry fans because now he travels the world performing his work. Like this piece which he shared with us on Livewire, once upon a time. Lying together in the park
8: on 7th, our backs smush grass. I say, I will love you till I become a child again when feeding me and bathing me is no longer romantic or rather necessary. I will love you till there is no till. Until I die. And when that electroencephalogram shuts down, darling, that's when the real loving kicks in. <laughs> Forgive me for sounding selfish, but I won't be able to wait under the earth for you. I won't be able to wait for you. But I will meet up with you when I die. And here's where you'll find me get a pen. Hold your finger up. Two fingers of your hands are frail by now. And count two stars directly to the left of the North American moon. You will find me there. You will find me darting behind amazing quasars, behind bright flirtatious winks of blasting boom stars. Sometimes charging so far into space the darkness goes. I will be there chasing the sound waves, riding them like two-dollar pony horses that have finally broken free from the night's carousel. I'll be riding them backwards, side saddle, no hands, sometimes standing on their backs screaming, Zip, zang, zowie, my God, it's good to be back in space. Where is everybody? But you will recognize my voice. You will see the flash of a fire trail burning off the back of me, burning like a gasoline comet, kerosene, sapphire. This is my voice. Don't look for my body or a ghost. I'll resemble more a pilot light than a man. I'm sure some will see this cobalt, star white light earth, and they'll cast me a wish like a wonder bomb, and I'll think, oh people are still doing that. Good. Good. I'm sure I'll collect, take the light wonder bombs to the point in the universe where sound does end. It's the back porch of God's summer home, and it's so quiet there. It's so quiet you float, and it feels the way cotton candy tastes. And I say to him, God, why do I call you God? And he says, because... Grand Pooh-Bah would sound ridiculous, <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I knew you had a sense of humor. I've been to Phoenix, but God, <laughs> so many poets have tried to tackle it—Ginsberg, Corso—and they all miss the mark. What is holy? What is actually holy?" And at that moment, the planets begin to spin and awaken and large movie screens appear on Mars, Saturn, and Venus, each bearing the images I have witnessed throughout my life and over each and
7: every single clip flashes the word holy. Armadillos, holy. Cows, tongues, holy. Snowballs upside the head, holy. Clumsy first kisses, sneaking into the movies, holy. Your mother teaching you to slow dance. The fear returning, but the fear over overcome, holy, eating top ramen on upside down frisbees because it was either by plates or more beer, holy, beach cruises at night, holy, the last time you were nervous holding hands, holy, feeling God in a pool hall but not church, holy, sleeping during your uncle's memorized dinner prayer, holy, losing your watch in the sea and all that that signifies, holy, the day you got to really speak to your father because the television broke, holy, the grandmother told you something meaningful because she was dying, holy all the medicine, the hope, the fear, the trust the crush, the work, the loss, the love, the test the birth, the end, the finale the design, the design the design in the stars it's the same in our hearts the design in the stars is the same in our hearts in the rebuilt machineries of our hearts, so love
8: so love so love, you will know exactly what to look for take your time don't worry about getting lost you will find me up there a finger and two dots away if you're wondering if i'll still be able to hold you But I do know that I could still fall for a swish of light that comes barreling, cascading towards me. It will resemble your sweet, definite hands. And the universe will bend, the planets will bow, and I'll say, oh, there you are. I've been waiting for you. Now we can go. And the two pilot lights go zoom, into the black construction paper night as somewhere else two other lovers lie down on their backs stare hard into the sky and say what the hell was that?
0: (laughs) Thank you everybody. That was poet Derek Brown right here on Live Wire Radio's Valentine's special I'm your host, Luke Burbank. We're revisiting some of our favorite conversations and sketches and songs on the subject of love, which, you know, sometimes goes right, sometimes doesn't go so right. We've got Steve Allman and Cheryl Strayed here from the Dear Sugar Radio podcast. Um, okay, Steve, we are about to hear an essay you wrote, which is... About smut? That does not sound
3: very romantic. <laughs> well, it's got kind of a catchy title, but it's really about the pleasures of the body. I think Americans are very neurotic about their own sexuality, which is really just the body seeking out pleasure. That's what's at the bottom of all the underneath all the Hallmark cards and the rest of the marketing is that we're all, it, our bodies need to be loved, and sometimes they need to be loved physically. And hopefully, emotions and psychology are a part of that. But that is a beautiful thing and something to celebrate. But somewhere between now, the Puritans and, and present day, with all our pornification, we've gotten very mixed up about that. And that's all this piece of writing is really trying to get people back to, the holy temple of our bodies, which should be consecrated with lots of wonderful caressing and maybe even some sex.
0: All right, let's take a listen to this from Steve Almond.
3: Why I Write Smut, A Manifesto. Because I've devoted perhaps 80% of my adult waking hours to thinking about sex and it seems dishonest to pretend otherwise in my work. Because human beings are never more alive to their own hope and shame and fear than when they are naked and aroused and because the same must therefore be true of our characters who are nothing more than poorly disguised versions of ourselves. Because I'm really tired of seeing sex used to sell SUVs and underarm deodorant and crappy light beer rather than being portrayed as a natural... Thank you, that's a beer drinker. (laughs) Rather than being portrayed as a natural and sometimes even holy human pursuit. Because... (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, my father... Because I have accumulated over the years such a tremendous surplus of sexual humiliation that it seems almost stingy of me not to re-gift some of it to my readers. (laughs) Because I'm now married with two small children and thus writing about sex often constitutes the closest I can get to having sex. (laughs) I enjoy your enjoyment of my suffering. Because President Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky did have sexual relations, God bless them. And while I could care less about the big phony scandal that story became, I am interested in the sweet and deranged version of love that passed between them. Aren't you? Because I'm really tired of having to listen to well-meaning religious folk misquoting God about how the rest of us should use our genitals. Because both my parents are, in fact, psychoanalysts. (laughs) And despite what you are all now thinking, which is basically, wow, you must be a really crazy person, which is a very interesting thought for you to have, by the way, and something we might want to talk about a bit later (laughs) in the session. The one lesson my parents managed to impart as I lay those many afternoons on the analytic couch that was in fact the only piece of furniture in our living room (laughs) is that our libidinal drives are not some bright new user option but an essential part of our beings, an inborn riot of wants and counter-wants that we can never control entirely. And because, as a writer, I'm interested in the loss of control, in the danger of forbidden thought and feeling, it strikes me as utterly foolish, just from a practical perspective, not to write about sex. Why skip over the part almost guaranteed to teach you something new about yourself? Because I'm tired of living in a culture that allows children to fire make-believe glocks but freaks out at the first sign of a naked boob. Because I just really love being able to write off lube as a business expense. (laughs) Just love that. Because our best writing resides in the senses, and sex invokes all five of our senses, at least if you're doing it right. I guess you are. (laughs) Because though I watch pornography and am terrifically involved with it for about two and a half minutes, (laughs) I am most often made sad by pornography, not simply because it involves the self-exploitation of people who probably have suffered a good deal of misfortune and not simply because porn stars can perform in manners that often seem like physiological, geometrical, even gravitational impossibilities and thus make me feel like the abject sexual nebbish that I surely am. But because porn stars are actors, being paid most often to simulate pleasure, they drain sex of its single most vital aspect, the intimate vulnerabilities that bring us to the act in the first place, the drama of our imperfect bodies as we seek to make a communion of our desires. Because I believe literature's central purpose is not to pretend we don't have bodies and their consequent needs, but to make us feel less alone with those needs. Because the Puritans themselves, don't kid yourselves, were total horn dogs <laughs> who wanted nothing more than to tear off those long black robes and suffer a spiritual crisis. <laughs> and because when I write about sex, I'm writing ultimately about a dream that begins with the Puritans that we, the people of this great and troubled land, will at last forgive ourselves the lust and loneliness that reddens our blood and will seek a final remedy in the warm temple of one another's bodies. Who's with me? That was the
0: inimitable Steve Almond right here on Livewire Radio smutting up our special valentine's edition of the show but but i have to admit also making some pretty good points
5: good morning this is captain neil bainbridge on behalf of pacific airlines i want to thank you for flying with us today we've reached our cruising altitude of thirty-four thousand feet and it looks like clear skies all the way to denver If you look up the left side of the aircraft, you will see beautiful Mount Jefferson. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the flight. Captain Bainbridge here again. Mount Jefferson is the second highest mountain in Oregon, 10,500 feet, actually classified as a stratovolcano, just like Mount Fuji. Not to worry though, even if it does erupt, we are safe and sound way up here. Looking at about two hours and 20 minutes flight time. (laughs) Named after Thomas Jefferson by Lewis and Clark. Originally it was called Mount Vancouver by the British. But uh, when you lose the big one, you don't get to name our mountains. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just messing around for the most part. Uh, I know a couple of pilots over at British Airways. They're real nice fellas. Anyway. (laughs) Thomas and Richard. That was their names. Thomas, not Tom. Trust me on that, he will correct you. Okay then. (laughs) Actually, Mount Jefferson was where I went camping two weeks after high school graduation with my pal, Chris Raleigh. My God, we were so young back then. Got four Ds my final semester, graduated by the skin of my teeth, and still thought I had it all figured out. Got pretty cold that third night. Chris and I had to snuggle up pretty close in that tent. Well, I should just let you folks enjoy the flight. (laughs) We kissed, okay? It didn't last longer than 10 or 20 seconds. I wanted to keep going. Uh, But Chris, well, he just turned away uh, after a few seconds and said go to sleep, Neil. Maybe he did, but uh, I was so amped up by everything that had happened, I didn't get one wink of sleep that night. Nancy and Wayne will be starting beverage service here in a minute. Hard not to think about that night every time I fly over good old Mount Jefferson. Chris, well, I heard he married and moved to San Diego, opened a pet food business or something. The heck. I wish him the best. Just, uh, just wonder sometimes what might have happened, what might have been. Anyway, life is funny that way. <laughs> Flight crew, cross check.
0: That was Andrew Harris. This is Live Wire Radio. We'll be back in just a moment. This podcast is brought to you by Ergo Depot, who offer up this tip on goal setting. Make them small, realistic, and achievable, and you might actually reach them. So don't say, I want to be just like Gandhi. Say, I want to be less of a jerk to my cat. Or or don't say, this year I'm running a marathon. Just say, this year I'm going to sit less. Doesn't that feel freaking doable? That's because it is. With Depot sit-stand desks and active sitting solutions, you'll hit your goal in a single day. And then you'll be a better person, just like Gandhi. Visit ErgoDepot.com to start your transformation. Welcome back to Live Wire Radio. It's our Valentine's edition. We've got Cheryl Strayed and Steve Allman helping us out there from the Dear Sugar Radio podcast, of course. Um, okay, Cheryl, we, we heard something from Steve a little earlier in the show. And next up, we're actually going to hear an essay that you did on Live Wire some, some years ago. What's uh, What's this piece all about?
1: It's called Tiny Beautiful Things. It's the title column from my book, Tiny Beautiful Things, that collects uh, many of the Dear Sugar columns that I wrote when I was writing the, the column on the rumpus. And, you know, there are portions of this essay that speak directly to romantic love. In fact, there's this line in in the essay where I say, when you meet a man in the doorway of a Mexican restaurant, um, well, that man turned out to be Mr. Sugar, my husband, Brian Lindstrom. Um, But I think that the piece also speaks more broadly to the nature of love, all kinds of love, the way that we, in order to be loved fully, we need to learn how to love ourselves or at least accept ourselves. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about the this idea of Valentine's Day, celebrating not just that kind of hallmark romantic love, but the big love, the big love that is in the world. And it turns out to be a tiny, beautiful thing.
0: Okay, this is Cheryl Strayed right here on LiveWire Radio.
1: Dear Sugar, I read your column religiously I'm 22. From what I can tell by your writing, you're in your early 40s. <laughs> My question is short and sweet. What would you tell your 20-something self if you could talk to her now? Love seeking wisdom. Dear seeking wisdom, stop worrying about whether you're fat. You're not fat. Or rather, you're sometimes a little bit fat, but who gives a There is nothing more boring and fruitless than a woman lamenting the fact that her stomach is round. Feed yourself, literally. The sort of people worthy of your love will love you more for this, sweet pea. In the middle of the night, in the middle of your 20s, when your best woman friend crawls naked into your bed, straddles you, and says, you should run away from me before I devour you. (laughs) Believe her. You've all had that friend too, yeah. You are not a terrible person for wanting to break up with someone you love. You don't need a reason to leave. Wanting to leave is enough. Leaving doesn't mean you're incapable of real love or that you'll never love anyone else again. It doesn't mean you're morally bankrupt or psychologically demented or a nymphomaniac. It means you wish to change the terms of one particular relationship. That's all. Be brave enough to break your own heart. There are some things you can't understand yet. Your life will be a great and continuous unfolding. It's good you've worked hard to resolve childhood issues while, you're, while in your 20s. But understand that what you resolve will need to be resolved again and again. <laughs> you will come to know things that can only be known with the wisdom of age and the grace of years. Most of those things will have to do with forgiveness. Don't lament so much how your career is going to turn out. You don't have a career. (laughs) You have a life. Do the work. Keep the faith. Be true blue. You're a writer because you write. Keep writing and quit your bitching. Your book has a birthday. You don't know what it is yet. You cannot convince people to love you. This is an absolute rule. No one will ever give you love because you want him or her to give it. Real love moves freely in both directions. Don't waste your time on anything else. Most things will be okay eventually, but not everything will be. Sometimes you'll put up a good fight and lose. Sometimes you'll hold on really hard and realize there is no choice but to let go. Acceptance is a small, quiet room. One hot afternoon during the era in which you've gotten yourself ridiculously tangled up with heroin, you will be riding the bus and thinking what a worthless piece of crap you are when a little girl will get on the bus holding the strings of two purple balloons. She'll offer you one of the balloons, but you won't take it because you believe you no longer have a right to such tiny, beautiful things. You're wrong. You do. Your assumptions about the lives of others are in direct relation to your naive pomposity. Many people you believe to be rich are not rich. Many people you think have it easy worked hard for what they got. Many people who seem to be gliding right along have suffered and are suffering. Many people who appear to you to be old and stupidly saddled down with kids and cars and houses were once every bit as hip and pompous as you. When you meet a man in the doorway of a Mexican restaurant who later kisses you while explaining that this kiss doesn't mean anything, because much as he likes you, he's not interested in having a relationship with you or anyone right now, just laugh and kiss him back. Your daughter will have his sense of humor. (laughs) Your son will have his eyes. The useless days will add up to something. The waitressing jobs, the writing in your journal, the long, meandering walks, the reading poetry and story collections and novels and dead people's diaries and wondering about sex and God and whether you should shave under your arms or not. These things are your becoming. One Christmas at the very beginning of your 20s, when your mother gives you a warm coat that she saved for months to buy, Don't look at her skeptically after she tells you she thought the coat was perfect for you. Don't hold it up and say it's longer than you like your coats to be and too puffy and possibly even too warm. Your mother will be dead by spring. That coat will be the last gift she gave you. You will regret the small thing you didn't say for the rest of your life. Say thank you, sugar.
0: You. That was Cheryl Strade, of course, of wild fame and also of the Dear Sugar radio podcast right here on our Livewire Valentine's Day special. For over a decade, Al James's band DeLorean has been writing and recording music right here in Portland, Oregon. They've toured all over the world, including an appearance on Livewire and we thought this song would be perfect for our Valentine's special. So take a listen to this. It's DeLorean right here on Livewire Radio.
6: Thirty years,
0: I'm nearly halfway home.
6: More or less, I'll never know. Well, my heart's been broken, but my heart's still strong If I find love, I won't let go If I find love, I won't let go well, See, the truth is I've been on both sides been a jealous husband and with others' wives I get no pleasure in pain or gain or no price If I find love, I'm gonna make it mine If I find love, I'm gonna make it mine Cause I can't sleep I'm getting wild on a bottle Cause I can't eat I have a habit of getting in A little too deep If I find love It'll be the end of me If I find love It'll be the Bye.
0: That was Portland's own DeLorean here on Live Wire Radio. That's going to wrap it up for us here on this Valentine's edition of Live Wire Radio. Thank you for spending the time with us. I hope it was romantic or um, consoling or whatever you needed it to be out there in a listener land. Also, big thanks to Cheryl Strayed and Steve Allman from the Dear Sugar Radio podcast. Uh, We hope the listeners have enjoyed their time with us here on Live Wire. We will be back next week. The show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, and Ergo Depot. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hameister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band along with Jonathan Newsom and Dave Jorgensen. Our music on this episode was courtesy of Jim Brunberg. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of the writing team, along with Alex Falcone. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, the Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, the Eccles Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition... And listeners like you, fine, beautiful people. For more information about our show or how to become a member of LiveWire, visit LiveWireRadio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank, and we'll see you next week. PRI, Public Radio International.